holy cow, it works so much better when I remember that there's, like, a time counter on the Skype call. Welcome yeah. to the second episode of The Labyrinth of Lore. <laughs> uh, we just finished up the... I still don't have a good name for it. We need a name for it. Um, I... The, the beginning of our pre-show banter. If you want to listen to any of that, it will be over available on our Patreon, because this is the first one. Actually, no. It will be not free, because that was the point, and I had to tell a story in case certain people <laughs> wouldn't listen. There we go. Let's go with that. <laughs> there are very specific people who will not listen to it because it would cost any amount of money. I don't think they'll listen to this either, but just to make sure. This is, I think, so far our most awkward opening. Yeah. Well, we, well, we're one for two for good openings, so let's do that. Stick okay. <laughs> Welcome to the Labyrinth of Lore. Still need a sub name for this one, seeing as I came up with the last one on the fly. We are talking about the official magic fiction. They're the Uncharted Realms. That was such a better name. I know why they changed it. Uncharted Realms was a better name. I don't care. Okay. Sorry. We'll go with that. That was my angry... <laughs> the official magic story for Innistrad. So far, we have five of them. The last one came out on the 30th of March, which, of course, means the next one comes out tomorrow at time of recording. So, <laughs> too bad. We'll figure it out. Yep. So, we each grabbed two apiece, and then we'll talk about the mystery of Markov Manor, the most recent one, together. So, do you want to start off with Under the Silver Moon? I would love to start with Under the Silver Moon. By the way, my name is Miriam, just to remind all of our lovely listeners. Oh, yes, and I'm Steven, the... I can't even say, like, show wrangler, because I let us off track immediately, so go me. I guess that makes me today show wrangler. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Don't sound so terrified. <laughs> it's not terrified, just... Okay, it's terrified. <sighs> Fine. <laughs> I'll tone down the crazy for today. Well, let's get on into it. Anyways, the first episode for the official magic storyline uh, is called Under the Silver Moon. Um, and I actually wrote out proper notes for it. You'll be so proud of me. Oh my lord, even I didn't do that. I know, right? So this story currently takes place in the Uvenwald, Uvenwald Forest. Um, and it starts off with the two main characters, Hal and Elena, who are essentially they're hunters, they're like they fight uh lycanthropes, and they're currently in a town hall meeting with the with eleven out of the twelve elders of the town, where the farmer Warren is freaking out because his cow is possessed. <laughs> yes, I, I do remember this one. He thinks that one of his cows ate the other one. <laughs> Because exactly. one was it, it one died and he saw the living one with like blood on its snout. Correct. Like obviously they ate each other. Exactly. And I have to admit, there was this one sentence. I, I copied the sentence down. Uh he was describing the feeling of the creepiness of the of like the murdered cow remains and the bloody cow face. It's like a beetle crawling up the back of your neck, right up the base into your hair and that sentence just ugh. it really doesn't help that they also open up with the art for oh what is this damn card because they showed oh, the art before oh, the card oh, was revealed I, it. I think i found it where is it come on 
I found I this card. It turns oh, it, skin it, invasion. Skin invasion, and then it transforms into skin shredder, which is a horrible like insectoid monster thing that's still sort of wearing the face of the person it used to be, but everything else is just gone. Yeah. Something that's kind of cool about these stories is there is there's like the full size card art that you get on certain cards and you get them um, as if they're illustrations for the story, which kind of makes it fun to be like, oh, oh, I know that illustration that's on this card. Like we literally just went right now. I just wish they were better about going back later and marking if it's a card that has already been revealed. They actually mark down at the bottom what card it's attached to. I wish they were better about Mm -hmm. going back after the card has been announced. Because let's be honest, the whole set is out right now. Yes. So it would be cool to be like, oh, it's this art for this card. So Admittedly, anyways. Under the Silver Moon, I believe technically was published before official spoilers started, because I believe they started on March 14th, and this was published on March 2nd. Sounds about right. I mean, there were still cards available, because they were doing the weird, very early card showings, mm-hmm. but eh. Yeah. So, back to our original story. Uh, the protagonist, Helen and Elena, they're at this town hall meeting. The townspeople are freaking out. And they start to blame... They're blaming each other for the failed wards that keep them safe from the various creatures in the woods. Um, because they have the priest of Avacyn create the wards, which keep them safe and keep them from harm. And they're blaming someone like, oh, it's because of you that the wards failed. Bleh. And then someone comes in running and yelling about a murdered girl, which is a great way to say that. Um, and of course, when something new happens and something bad happens, so let's say something new comes into your life and then something bad happens, you usually blame the new thing. And in that case, it's Mr. and Mrs. Palter, who our protagonist, Hal and Elena, had rescued one week earlier in deep in the Ulvenwald forest. Um... So they had rescued the Palters, brought them into town. Um, Mr. Palter uh, claimed to be a Cathar of the Lunark Council in his youth. And they were coming, uh, they were traveling in the forest and he gave them like a sigil, a protective sigil. Um, So Hal and Elena decide, okay, let's go check this out. So they head to the inn where the Palters are. They go into the room and... What is in there is this pool of blood. There's a chair that has like 12 different belts and straps that's in the closet that's been ripped apart, um, a silver button, and a scrap of lace. And those things are going to be important later on, just so you know. Um, so they just so they think, oh, wow, uh, Mr. Palter killed his wife. But the thing is, there's no body there, so we don't actually know what happens to her. Um Just a warning, this entire story is nothing but a slew of misdirections, which I'll explain later. Endlessly, they just don't stop. Oh my god, like, I was was thinking one thing, and it turns into another, and I thought that was so fantastic. Oh, really quickly, just because I'm going to want to bring it up later, I really have a weird problem with Innistrad names, in that they all seem just slightly normal, and then not quite right. Like, I'm constantly screwing up people's names because they're almost what I would expect a name to sound like, but not quite. <laughs> like, you'll see that you'll see it as we keep going. Yeah. Um, like, even so just how. I, that's not how I would expect how to be spelled. How? How, how would you pre- expect it to be spelled? I don't know. It just seems weird. Oh, and the other thing before I forget. 
Cathars are, for those of you not in the know about Innistrad, Cathars are sort of religious soldiers. They're a pseudo-militia-esque thing established by the Church of Avicen. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he talks about protecting the mausoleum. Yeah, and the, the Lunar Council is a thing that seems to have been established fairly recently that are basically a whole bunch of bishops who are currently running the Church of Avicen. Yep. Okay, let's see. Um, where was I? I'm going back to my notes. Yep, sorry, I didn't mean uh, to interrupt there. No, totally. I... I I should have mentioned those things because they're good points. I actually had to go up and look, go back and look up what a Cathar actually was because I wasn't sure. They are probably going to feature very heavily in the future thing that someone mentioned on a comment that we're probably doing in a couple of episodes. Yeah. Shout out to Thomas. Thank you very much. For those of you who don't pay attention to MTG cast comments, because why would you? It's not a well-implemented system by any means. Uh, Thomas commented on the first podcast and made a suggestion about flavor-based decks and trying to make them actually sort of functional. This is a bad habit I have because I tend to do very tribal-focused decks and lock down like, let's do one based on this setting or whatever. So we'll actually be doing that on purpose in the next couple episodes. So as we said again, thank you, Thomas, for your wonderful suggestion. We really appreciate new ideas. I really hope that I covered for you there and you found where you wanted to keep up because I ran out of stuff to I totally did. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so as Hal and Elena are looking at the room where the Palters were originally staying, no one is there, there's no corpses, they think that something has happened and Mr. Palter has turned into a werewolf because it is the full moon out. And it is the time for his transformation. So as they're in the room, they hear the sound of like people coming up the stairs and they decide, let's book it out of there. So they book it out, go to their camp in the woods and arm up with all of their silver. There's a beautiful uh, uh, picture of a silver knife that I thought was absolutely fantastic in the story. So they gather all their things and they start tracking Mr. Palter and they're going through the woods and they see... They're tracking his footprints because it goes from human to wolf. And then they see his boot prints again. But there's two sets of tracks. And they're just trying to figure out. They think that, oh, Palter um, has, Mr. Palter has changed into a werewolf and is doing his change in the woods. And it's violent and gruesome and horrifying. So they end up making their way back. The footprints end up leading them back into town. Um, coincidentally enough, back to Farmer Warren, who, if you remember at the beginning, uh, is the one who believes his cow is possessed. Of course. I know, right? Um, so they think Palter is going to be circling back to kill the other cows. And when they get back to town, they realize that the cows are still there. Two of the four cows are still still there because, um, whatever got the cows in the beginning, they killed two of them already. So, <clears throat> this is where the first misdirection starts. Um, so they go, as they're exploring the town, they see, or like, uh, his pastures. There are three corpses, three different townspeople. Because they hear, and they see this because they hear about the bell, town bell ringer uh, crying out, there's a dead body. So they go and find the corpses, but the corpses, instead of being mauled like you would expect, like ripped to shreds by werewolves, are drained of all their blood... 
and are white and pale with splayed out limbs. Because obviously we needed vampires here too. Exactly. Misdirection number one. So, Something as or I mentioned... about a herring? <laughs> Sorry, couldn't help it. A red herring? Um, so, as I said before, they're... Uh, when Hal and Elena uh, first go to the inn and there's a silver button and a scrap of lace, the scrap of lace that they found matches one of the corpses, the sleeve of one of the corpses. It's one of the town elders. And they realize that the person who was killed in that room was not Mrs. Poulter, as they first assumed, but the town elder. He was killed there and then brought to the field where there were three other people or two other people who were dead. So they start to think back and realize, oh, well, what happened to Mrs. Poulter? And they realize, they think back to those tracks and there were two sets of tracks. There were a set of boots and a set of paws, like Miss, Mr. Poulter's boots. So instead of it being Mr. Poulter, like we all thought it was going to be, turns out it's Mrs. Poulter. And just as they start to figure that out, they look up onto the hill and they see a demonic altar with Mrs. Poulter standing over the body of Mr. Poulter about to plunge a knife into his body. And as this is happening, Mrs. Poulter is calling, is chanting out the name of a demon. Ormandal! 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 Over and over and over again, um, as she's attempting to summon this demon. So, as you would expect, Helen Elena uh, attack Mrs. Poulter. Mrs. Poulter already kills Mr. Poulter. She starts to summon the demon... As they attack Mrs. Poulter, Mrs. Poulter is imbued with demonic strength and really just kicks the ever-living daylights. See? No need for swears there. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Ever-living daylights out of Hal and Elena. And just as they think they're going to die, who comes in? But the werewolves. The werewolves come in to save them. A pack of werewolves swarm in. There's maybe, it sounded like there were six of them, led by like a really intelligent looking werewolf. They pin Mrs. Poulter down and they kill her. So she's dead. And the leader werewolf transforms. And she transforms into Arlen Cord, who, if you don't know, is one of the four planeswalkers for this series. And she... Uh, essentially warns them of the dangers of what's going on in the Ulvenwald forest and the and Hal and Elena are like, no, this is our forest. We will protect it. And she's like, puny, tiny humans, you can't do everything on your own. And they're like, no, but we can do it. And they're, she's like, be it on your own head, just stop killing my werewolves. We're not actually doing anything. And that's it. And uh, Arlen runs off with her pack and that's kind of where the story ends with a little snippet about Arlen um that had this been another situation she might have actually been friends with the pair and that is uh under the silver moon so it should be said that first of all this actually is entailed in one single card namely the Westvale Abbey which is that bizarre transforming land <clears throat> so it's a rare Westvale Abbey, land, tap, add one colorless to your mana pool. Pay five and tap, along with pay one life, put a 1-1 white 
and black human cleric creature token onto the battlefield. Then pay five and tap, sacrifice five creatures, transform Westvale Abbey, then untap it. The one thing I'm thinking here is she's the fifth sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And then it turns into Ormandal, profane prince. Legendary creature demon 9-7 with flying, lifelink, indestructible, and haste. As I love an, the flavor text for this. Yeah, as an extra bonus, it has, While Grizzlebrand was gone, the Skurzdag eagerly awaited another demon to claim their devotion. Ormenthal did not make them wait long. Ormendal, not Ormenthal. Sorry, I can't help it. I just like the fall part. It plays off my tongue easier. I'd like to point out that Ormendal, once he transforms, is a 9-7. So uh, he's really hard to kill, even without the flying, the indestructible. I do and... like that he has haste, so even if you manage to play the land and then do this in one term, turn somehow, he can still swing in. Mm-hmm. Which He's is also of... technically bigger than Grizzlebrand. Because mm-hmm. Grizzlebrand is a 7-7. Of... Seven, seven. This also goes with the new mythology that demons are also starting to move into Innistrad. And becoming more of an issue than they were, I believe, in the first set. We had a few At least of that's... them, but the bigger uh... thing, uh, devils were a lot more common. It was demons were sort of in black and devils were in red, but there were a lot more devils. Yeah, and from just something, some, from what I was reading, there's another, there's more demons this, there's more demons and devils this incarnation of the Innistrad set than there were in the past one. Which I'm I not even was sure fun. if it's more, but I'm certain that at least the devils seem to be actively better cards. Yeah. Like, a lot of the devils were good, or just not bad. The devils in this set are really good. So, Definitely. our next story... Unless you've got anything else about Under the Silver Moon. Nope, I okay. really liked it. I think it was a very strong opening story. Um, as I said, holy misdirections. At first you're like, okay, he's the werewolf. No, she's the werewolf. No, wait, vampires? Wait, what? No, summoning a massive demon? <gasps> no. It was a really cool story. It was. It's I... a little long, but it's not bad. You know, I think the length helped for it. Um, it was really interesting to see how they also talked about the relationship between Hal and Elena. Yep. Too. I definitely did like that. There were a few things where it was a little bit, like, too much detail on things that didn't need it, but otherwise it was pretty good in general. I felt like the detail was a good support. No, no, but... I think in most cases it was, but there were yeah. a few places where it was just like, this one thing does not need that much detail. Please move or on. Or like, yeah, I could see that where it got kind of repetitive. yeah. Not I too mean, much, but yeah, in places. All in all, a really good episode one. Yeah. So for episode two, we have A Gaze Blank and Pitiless. I actually read this one uh, while we were prepping for this. So You read all of them. I did read all of them. I did not have time to read all of them. Okay, well, you'll get the story ta- storytelling from me then. <laughs> <laughs> so All right. A Gaze Blank and Pitiless is focusing largely, almost entirely, on Avacyn. We get a little bit of backstory into the way that she's been built up. Basically, she came into existence about a thousand years ago and has, since that time, had the voices of the people of Innistrad, well, not the voices, the prayers of the people of Innistrad, as this constant niggling voice at the back of her head asking for help. And this one 
sort of like forced piece of information in her mind from Soren protect. She has to protect the people of Innistrad because there's vampires, there's werewolves, there's demons, there's devils, there's all these things trying to kill them all. Mm-hmm. And we get this really cool insight into this way how she is an angel, but at the same time seems very different. She doesn't feel she's very robotic. She doesn't deal with emotion particularly well, even as we see later in the story compared to other angels. She doesn't feel like she doesn't feel cold, but she can appreciate solitude. It's a little bit strange. It kind of feels like Soren didn't completely do a great job while creating her. Like she has no way to connect with human beings beyond I mean, serving their prayers. Honestly, something that she reminded me of was a little bit like data. A little bit, like yes. Star Trek Next Gen. How, as because um, yeah, as as she gets older and has deals with more of this, she gets better, and she evolves, and she becomes in the way that data does. It specifically says, uh, and over time, Everson's understanding of the word in this case protect grew and became more nuanced. She started to focus less on just protecting individual people and more on inspiring and developing their faith in her as like a symbol i do like how it went from protect to protect them yeah so she starts to feel a very specific person crying out in prayers to that avison go save her child who is lost in the woods and she goes to do this. She, like, flies into the woods, does this big, like, echoing voice throughout the woods, calling for the child by name, who then keeps begging for help inside their own head so she can find them very easily, flies down to them, picks her up, picks up the child, and has this brief moment of how she has always enjoyed children better just because of their, where'd it go? Avison had always been more comfortable with children. Their innocence, their earnestness made them easier to comprehend. Like, this is a continuing thing. This is her a thousand years after she was created, and she still doesn't easily deal with human beings in general. She picks up the kid, takes him back to his mom, and then something really strange happens. It's described as sort of a doubling. There's a soft buzzing in her ears, the constant hum, and... It's as if the world sort of splits in two for her. And then the only thing she's able to focus on is this voice, this buzzing in a voice inside her head. And its first words to her are, the seeds of men are rotten. She can't figure out where this came from. It doesn't sound like the prayers. In fact, it's actually blotting out most of the prayers. She can tell that they're still there, but she can't hear them as clearly. And then it just keeps talking keeps repeating the same phrase, and then these mortals travel from anger to guilt and back again, and whatever is accomplished. And it just keeps worming its way into her, and then she looks on as... She's not even under, uh, sure what's happening, and we'll refer back to it a little bit later, but she's brought this child and parent back together. They look really happy, and then suddenly the parent snaps, and she's like, what's wrong with you? Why would you run away? And then we just cut to the end of the scene. And we I later... Love the, there's mm-hmm. a line. There's a line here that I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. Avison fled, 
seeking refuge from her own mind. It was nowhere to be found. Yeah. And when we, we get to refer back to this mother and child a little bit later, the mother is basically going like, I was angry, but at the same time, that wasn't me. Like, I didn't want to do that. Something started making me do that. But this visual stimuli seems to sort of compound with the this bizarre niggling voice in Avicen's head and drives her to actually accept that maybe this is right. I've never thought this before, but maybe it's right. We then cut to a... I don't remember if it says if he's a Cathar. Macher? Mate? I don't... This is one that's, of those... I think that's his name. Ma- Macher? I just can't figure out how to pronounce his name because it's M-A-C-H-E-R. Macher? 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 So I, I, he, I feel like it's that hard C-H sound. Macher. I can understand that. Yeah, like so... Like that slightly Germanic sound. Yeah. Macher is a member of the Avicinian Church. He was orphaned to the Gavany Parish as apparently a lot of people were. And I think he's a priest. I think he's some sort of priest. Uh, he's... night when no other priest. So, yeah, he's a priest. But that's not exactly specific, because we... Eh. He's part of the church. Yeah, he's some part of the church. But he's actually having doubts about Addison. He understands that she's very likely real, but it's... Is she really worthy of worship? Is she actually, like, a god? She was trapped in just up in the hell vault for almost a full year. Could, should we really trust something to be a god that can just be imprisoned so easily? And he starts to reflect back on this past year where she had disappeared. It had been a grim time. The horrors had begun to like expand out. He had known Micaeus, the Lunarch, basically think Pope, and had seen the night when Micaeus had turned into a zombie. It was a very, very powerful card as well. Uh, and it had been the worst night of his life. Avzin suddenly returned, though, and Gavin was safe, and everything's perfect and wonderful. But can she be a god if she can be imprisoned? And then he thinks to himself a prayer that he didn't really want to put out there, but he thinks, Avicen, please exist. Please be true. And... He's got this beautiful thing of seeing the orange moon glow in the crisp night air, Avicen's symbol completely framed by the moon, and then there's a beating of wings. He whirls around, and an angel descends, striking white eyes, rimmed with black, large, luminous wings, silver-white hair tinged with orange and red hues of the moonlight. Hey, Avicen's here! (laughs) Yeah. This is, I think, the beginning of her descent into, well, probably not the beginning, but a few steps down her descent into madness, as we keep getting this metaphor of red and orange and things tipping, like, on the outskirts of her being. She descends into the courtyard, she lands, and I think just to torture him, basically stares dead-eyed at him, and there's this slightly horrifying thing where her ivory white irises begin to sort of swirl with this black inky chaos which is something that no one has ever seen happen and she looks down at him and says do you hear the bees do you hear their cries 
However, apparently it's her words tumble out of her mouth in a rush, breaking the spell of her eyes. Her gaze darts frantically from one side of the courtyard to the other. He doesn't understand what the heck she's talking about, so he's just like, oh my god, you came! You, you heard my prayer! And, like, she's here to lead me back to the light, to the truth! And she just looks down, you prayed for me to come. You prayed to me. You prayed to me because you doubted. There are other ways of ending your doubts. And apparently, she has an attempt at a smile here. We'll learn later that beings who have known her the entire time she has existed have never seen her even attempt a smile before. And she looks down at Mocker and says, Are you pure? What? Are you pure? Yes, I'm pure. Pure in my dot, 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 dot. And then just like, she immediately goes, no, you're not. You were born. You could not be pure. And I think this is probably the point where she's officially snapped. She basically scares the literal piss out of this guy, which I think was an unnecessary part of the story, but whatever. And I mean, starts he does. talking. It says, uh, uh... Yeah, no, no, that's why I said literal. It's just, I think it's unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, think about it. Your benevolent god has No, 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 snapped. no. I get that. I think this is unnecessary for the story, though. Fair enough. It is a entirely useless sentence that... Eh. Describing his pee? Yeah. Mm. Literally, the next sentence is, Terror overtook him, and he crumpled into, a, into the mossy ground, clutching himself with his eyes tut. T- that is a lot tut. more of an effective sentence for his fear. Exactly. So, eh. But she basically starts stating that it's not that you've lost faith in me, I've lost faith in all of you. And she just leaves him with a whisper of soon and flies away. Ugh. Yep. And then we start getting... This, this one has a lot of, like, sort of jump cuts. And it's, it's almost very... like different vignettes. It's all different vignettes that connect to this madness of Avison. Mm-hmm. So we've got Leont... Wakes up, wakes up in the beautiful winter sun, uh, faint lights streaming under his face, insisting on his wakeful attention. He starts going about his house, saying good morning to his wife, his kids, uh, talking about how blessed he was by the curse mute that removed his werewolf curse. Didn't even turn him into a wolf here, just completely removed his curse. And since then, it's increased his business, and he has to get back to the smith to start working on plows and tools and stuff. And how he has a life again with his family because Avison did this magical thing for him. And as he starts talking, everyone keeps repeating this phrase to him briefly as they just before they go back to sleep. When the door is knocked, do not open it. And he starts moving around his house and noticing these little things that he needs to fix or these clothes that are like torn on the floor that he should ask his wife to mend while he's at work. It's cold in here, I have to board up these holes, that sort of things. There's shards of wooden glass on the ground. Um, and then, wondering, all his family is so quiet, so faint, wondering if maybe you should get a healer if his family is sick. And they just keep repeating this phrase to him, and then he walks outside, and it's three people out on the street that he doesn't even know, just, when the door is knocked, do not open it. And... Things start to become very unclear at this point. 
it, I think this is moving more in towards his own mind. He starts pulling back in and seeing this spot where he knows there should be a door. There should be a door right here, but there's nothing. But there's a knock. There's just a big gaping hole of emptiness that something keeps knocking on. And then he desperately tries to finally give up and open this door, which is the point where he wakes up. And all he can think is, no, 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 no. As he rocks back and forth, clutching his head in grief and rage, seeing that he has turned into a werewolf in the night. The curse mute, for some reason, has stopped happening, stopped working. Specifically, the curse mute. What happened to the curse mute? Avison, why have you forsaken me, Avison? And in his in the night, he transformed and murdered his entire family. And as he looks up, he hears the beat of wings and silver hair and a large glowing spear. And he tries to beg for mercy, not for himself, but please spare my family. But he can't quite get it out. All he can manage is mercy, please, mercy for... And then the spear flashes with a loud proclamation of justice. There is no mercy. As he dies. And then once again, we do another jump cut. That one broke my heart so bad. Yeah, that one was just, oh, as as I started reading it, I went, oh God, I can see where this is going. Like right in the feels as like, as he's talking about the curse mute and his family is so weak and I'm like, as they're starting to describe the like the destruction of his house, I'm just like, no, yeah. no, please, no, don't let this. <laughs> are the puppies being silly right now? Uh, Haley just got home, so the puppies are all trying to group up against her. Uh, <laughs> so next, we move on to a very different look at Avison from one of the only truly non-human things that we get to see, which is Sigarda. She is the herald of the host of Heron's Flight, which didn't do a whole heck of a lot in the past. She is the green-white angel. They're now apparently trying to retcon her staff into being a scythe, which is a little weird. But So she starts talking about how she and her three sisters one of whom is now dead, have existed on this plane pretty much since the very beginning of it, and how they have this connection. She can feel them at all times, especially when they're coming towards her, that they all run their own lights. And that for some reason, about a week ago, someone from Gisela's Gold Knight flight came to her and basically said, you have to meet with them, meet with your sisters, at this time, at this place. And she was just like, why would I do that? Go away. And suddenly the two of them arrive in her home. Gisela and Bruna. Yes. So Bruna, Light of Alabaster, Gisela, Blade of Gold Knight, and it's just, we have to talk. The And the entire thing starts off as Sigarda, pretty sure that they're going to try and fight her, because they're just sort of circling her until... Avison joins, and she starts talking about this strange being that was Avison, where just a thousand years ago, this angel, kind of similar to what they are, but provably not the same, just appeared. Like, it was basically a, 
we can sort of relate to humans, but she relates to humans, relates to us the way that we relate to humans, where she's just so significantly more powerful and above us. I'd also like to point out the fact that the four sisters were made from the same material. Um, so that's why they can sense each other. But Avicen, um, spoiler, is not. Yeah. I think that's sort of the idea that all of the angels of Innistrad sort of come wholly formed from this dawn of creation. Where I guess they're like, they're organ- they would be organic and Avicen would be man-made. I think it's more that, I mean, yes, she is artificial. But it's more of, in this case, that they come from a single place. They come from, they don't actually specify very well, but that they just sort of arrived fully formed in Innistrad at its birth. Yeah. As did most of the other angels, it seems. Mm -hmm. But their fourth sister, who is in no way named because she's not allowed to be named, and her very small flight were wiped out by Avacyn very shortly after... She was created, and it seems like she was, what I would probably say, the white-black-aligned angel. There's some theories that the flight that she ran was called the Moonsilver Flight, because we've actually got a card called the Reaper of Moonsilver, which is a white angel with an ability that used to belong to a card called Fallen Angel that was a black angel. And it's a flight we've never seen before now, so looks like she might be making a resurgence, but theoretically, she went out of her way to sort of be that, to defeat something, I have to understand how it works and become it. So she worked with demons and vampires and werewolves, but eventually she went too far and made an actual allegiance with a demon lord, which her sisters agreed was not good, and Avison agreed was just unforgivable, so she killed her and her entire flight. It's like, unacceptable! Yeah. So at this point, all of them just sort of serve her, and Avison and Giselle and Bruna came to Sigardus to speak with her about joining the great work, and that it will begin very soon. Specifically, she says, uh, Avison says, we will need your help. The impure must be cleared, be punished. We will make way for true light, for ourselves and others like ourselves, who can create and maintain peace. Imagine it, Sigarda. No more violence, no more war, no more darkness. Everlasting light, said a voice behind her, though she could not tell which angel said it, or perhaps both said it at the same time. That would be Bruna and Gisela. And then... Avison blows up her roof and just leaves. I'd like to also point out, um, Sigarda ten- is very observant about the changes that have kind of happened with Avison. Um, like, especially when Avison starts speaking to Sigarda. Um, she's like slurring her words and the, she has the like smile that Sigarda's never seen her do before. And the black like, seeping into her eyes. Yeah. Like that's like, it's, Seeing it from an angel's perspective is very different from seeing it from a terrified mortal's perspective, is seeing how, like, terrifying these are. Yep. Let me see if I can find the sentence with her smile, because that was, like, really creepy. Well, while you look for that, I'll just finish up. There's one final piece of the story, which, again, 
we come back to the tr- mother and child who were rescued by Avison, where we get this flash of, I didn't want to hit my child. I don't know what happened. It was just something made me do it. Like, I was angry because he ran away, but I didn't want to hurt him. I didn't want to scare him away from coming home again. But they start heading back to the village, and there's a... I feel like this part went on a little bit too long as well, where it's talking about how the mother always felt like her kid was too much like her, and... Sorry, the village felt her kid was too much like her, but because she was a foreigner and not native to Kessig, and Kessigs are loony people a little bit and don't like outsiders. It's like half a page that's just talking about this weird relationship between the woman and the village that we never see because it is on fire. Mm-hmm. Like, she gets back and the angels are burning the village to the ground, and the woman starts to pray and beg for Avison's help, and Avison comes down to see her and just goes, nope, and murders her and turns and just immediately turns her into ash as she sends her child off to hopefully survive it's sort of left ambiguous uh he runs off into the woods yeah he runs off into the woods and uh the woman tells avison that she'll never find him hopefully (laughs) and avison just continues to talk about all will burn all will bleed it just keeps repeating over and over and over as she laughs and smiles as her angels continue the great work in burning the village. Speaking of Avison's smiles, I found the sentence. Mm, okay. Uh, so she saw, it goes back to the section with Sigarda where she's talking about how humanity is essentially a blight and we have to get rid of them. For their crimes we have sought to punish and kill, but the humans' crimes are the same. Avison smiled then. And Sigarda realized that in a thousand years of knowing Avison, she had never seen her smile. It was not a pretty smile. It was entirely disconnected from the rest of her face, her eyes. It was as though some involuntary reaction made the corners of her lips turn up without experiencing happiness or joy. Which, in my mind, is kind of crazed. So as Stephen, uh left for just a second i think it is all right to move on to the chapter three which is called unwelcome in which we pick up with jace balaran so long story short uh jace has come to balaran searching for the vampire lord soren markov who he hopes can help him unravel a puzzle but in is unfamiliar territory and the only person who jace knows might uh who Jace knows who might be able to guide him is likely to be less than helpful, particularly given the way their last encounter ended. Spoiler! This is Liliana. This is where Jace and Liliana meet back up again. Um, Since Liliana has come to Innistrad um, after defeating, what was his name? Um... Oh, goodness. It was the demon. Uh, it was there was a demon on Innistrad's plane that she defeated because she had uh, five. Oh, after she had defeated Grizzlebrand, since the whole deal with Liliana is she has made a deal with four different demons who give her her powers, who keep her young. Um, and to get out of the deal she has made with them, she has to kill every single one of them, all four of them. So once she just 
droid Grizzlebrand. She decided to hang out in Innistrad for a little while. Um, and Jace has come to seek her out to see if she knows anything about Soren Markov. So it starts with Jace um, essentially on the road looking for her. I don't know why I'm even bothering with her, said Jace. I know better. I mean, I've made an awful lot of bad decisions in my life, even just counting the ones I can remember. And an awful lot of them involve her. Um, so long story short, Jace and Liliana have a really complicated backstory involving one another in which they were lovers. She betrayed him. She came back to him. Uh, so right before the... Um, while Jace was the Guild Pact, was like head of the Guild Pact, Liliana came to him um, kind of to catch up, to start over. And this is when, this is back when like Gideon and Jace first meet up. And this is before they meet up with Chandra and all of that loveliness. Before so, they literally form the Gatewatch weirdness thing. There you go. Before they form the Avengers. Essentially before they the planar avengers yeah um this is right before that happens so i'm just uh to catch you up steven i'm giving just like the no, slightest no, I, I, I heard most of it don't worry beautiful um so a little bit of backstory about jace and liliana so he is looking for liliana he's currently in the jag it describes the jagged mountains of the province called stencia um and right now he has a guide and his guide is not really talking much and um he's kind of talking out loud to himself um, so he, he's kind of doing that thing where he's like, oh, it's when you go and see an ex for the first time after a really long time, it's like, oh, should it's I talk to her? Should I not is. talk to her? I, for example, I mean, uh, like I said, I've made a lot of bad decisions in my life and an awful lot of them involve her. Hell, part of me is hoping she'll throw me out on my ear and I can be done with her. Uh, ah, said his guide. Uh, problem is I actually need her help this time. He said, ah, said his guide, a strangled sound that Jace took to indicate boredom. I'm sorry, said Jace. I shouldn't be burdening you with my problems. He prepared a spell that would cleanly excise the last few minutes of the conversation from the man's mind. Said his guide. Not boredom. Anger? Jace reached, Jace reached into the man's mind and hit a wall of pure, all-encompassing rage. The savage half-thoughts of a predator. His guide turned to him, accompanied by the stomach-churning sounds of bones cracking and clothes tearing. Or His it's a face, okay. quite literally. So, moving on in the story, uh, Jace's guide has now turned into a werewolf because at this point they describe it as the Heron Moon. Um, so it's the full moon uh, with the huge silver face marked with the shape of the heron. So it's or the time of the Heron Moon. Mad Prophet, a 12-legged shrew. <laughs> this is the Mad Prophet so, from Avazin Restored, not from now, because it was better back then. Sorry. It's okay. No, I, as I said, Stephen knows a little bit more of the lore, dit, lore than I do, since I have kind of started to get more into it, so I have... This many, was actually many just flavor text on a really silly card. <laughs> <laughs> um, so essentially, his guide is turned into a werewolf, the guide eats his own horse, and then his pack comes out as they're summoned by one of their members turning. So they are essentially, Jace is essentially trying to outrun the pack on his horse through the woods, through the mountains, 
and over the hills to grandmother's house we go. And grandmother, in this case, is Liliana Vess. Um, so he is running as fast as he can. He is casting magic. He's creating illusionary doubles. And as he figures out, the werewolves don't actually... They ignore the doubles because they hunt via scent. I was about to say, I'm pretty sure that wouldn't work at all, but okay. Exactly. Jace. Jace um, is dumb. So, I mean, I wouldn't say that he's dumb. He just, he's kind of, he's a very specific set of magic. Jace is like, dumb. <sighs> I have been I dealing with this bugger for uh, whenever Lorowin was, when he didn't actually do anything in the story. I am uh, sick and tired of Jace. Basically, he's like, let me throw magic at it. It'll work. Doesn't work. Um, so essentially, he makes it to the manor and actually works his way into his the got his werewolf his uh, the werewolf that was once his guide. He works his way into his mind and is in control of that werewolf. So he and his guide, who is still a werewolf, make it to the manor. And as he gets to the manor, um, he's there. And essentially, he it looks like he's gonna get attacked by zombies, and then. So he, there's all these, like, shuffly zombies um, crowding him. The zombies stopped, then stirred and parted, leaving him a clear path to the mansion's ornate door, a welcoming committee. Her hospitality was everything he'd expected and then some. Little touch of sarcasm there. Um, as we know, Liliana is a necromancer. She likes to reanimate the dead. That was one of the first things she did as she was working with her uh, necromance powers after... She accidentally almost killed... She killed her brother And then accident. immediately brought him back from the dirt. Yeah. She kind of screwed up there. That's how she ignited her spark. Exactly. So, um, he is mounting the stone steps. He's gone through the gauntlet of the zombies, which... You gotta love a nice warm welcome. Um, so he's there. He essentially goes into her welcoming room. Um... And there, sitting easily on a chair, more a throne, was Liliana Vess. And in the picture, it looks the picture that's accompanying it. She's kind of looking haughtily down at Jace. Very much, the chair is very much a throne. It's a throne without being like obviously a throne. Um. So this is a long time. It's been a little while since they've actually met. This is before that the Planar Avengers, as Stephen mentioned earlier. This is after that has formed. This is after he's come to Innistrad. He's trying to figure out, uh, trying to find Soren. Um, so at this point, there's kind of like, they're bantering a little bit uh, back and forth. Like, to be honest, this whole chunk is banter. It is nothing but banter. Nothing also, but banter with sexual undertones. I, that's actually, I have a thing to throw in here for anyone who played during Go for it. original Innistrad or just knows Liliana the Veil, the card, at all, she still has the same hooker boots in that art, very clearly. Like, oh literally, probably the exact yeah. same ones. It's literally, like, this is, like, a beautiful pair of thigh-high, buttons-up-to-your-knees, heeled hooker boots. They are beautiful. Yeah, I don't know why it was just as soon as we saw the first, like, literally the first art for Innistrad was... Liliana the Veil, and everyone's just like, what the hell is with those hooker boots? <laughs> so, just, she still has them. Just She's still got her hooker boots. Yeah. Um, so definitely, it's a lot of, like, catching up one another, but with, like, a sexual undertony banter type thing. Um, she kind of apologizes without apologizing. Uh, she's trying, he's trying to get information out of her. 
um, she's basically saying, uh, there's a section where she says, uh, if you're here only to help me and ask nothing in exchange, turn around and walk away. Jace said nothing. Even if it was a bluff, he couldn't afford to call it. All right, then, said Liliana, draping herself back over her throne. Now we both know exactly how much our personal history means to us. What can I do for you, dear? So very, uh, it, even the sentence that describes her, she smiled, predatory and alluring. Such sexual undertone to this entire conversation. Um, so what happens now is they start talking about Soren Markov because she's been on the plane longer than he has. After defeating Grizzlebrand, she's kind, as I said, she kind of settled here for a little bit. Um, so Jace is telling her what he knows. I know he's ancient and more than a little trustworthy. And I know right now he's either in trouble or causing trouble. Either way, I need to find him. Um, so, so he explains to Liliana what he knows. So short version then. Three planeswalkers work together to, ex uh, to trap extraplanar world-devouring monstrosities called the Eldrazi on Zendikar. So... Think back for battle to Zendigar, um, the fact that there was a lot of Eldrazi. Um, so Soren was one of those three. Uh, one of Soren's ally told all of this to Jace, and essentially Jace admits that he and two of the other planeswalkers that he was working with accidentally released the Eldrazi Titans. Um, so Soren has essentially screwed up on Zendikar. And they're trying to find out what happened, why everything went wrong. Um, and so Liliana goes on to tell Jace about Soren. Um, my, one of my favorite sentences is this. I love a good describe, descriptive sentence. Um, Jace said, Liliana, listen to me. Soren won't help you. You think I'm selfish? You think I'm cruel? Soren's had thousands of years to get used to the idea that humans are cattle and mortal lives are cheap. She's like so a thousand, by the way. So I know exactly. Yeah. So he's so if you think that she is bad, he's like ten times worse. Um, he's also crazy. Just a little bit. I believe somewhere in here they do mention that every pre-mending planeswalker he knows, namely Sorin and Ugin, and now Nahiri, are all completely nut bars. L little bit. Yeah. Um. Yes. So essentially, she warns him, he ignores her, and she's like, he goes to walk out like, okay, well, um, which way is the manor? And she's like, you're an idiot, but at least stay here for the night. Um, she talks about how the Markov Manor is essentially how Soren is pretty much outcast even amongst his people. And yeah. I mean, he did make the angel that makes it harder for them to eat people. Which... We will go over it later on in uh, chapter five. Yeah. Um, so essentially she's like, you're an idiot. Go home. He says, I do what I want. And she's like, you're an idiot. Stay here for the night before you leave. And that is essentially where it leaves. I mean, it ends up with some more sexual banter. Yeah, pretty much. But yeah. So the next one that we've got is very silly. Uh, its name officially is Sacrifice. The real name is Hypnotoad. <laughs> this all focuses on... A monster. The Gitrog, which in card forms is actually just the Gitrog monster. It's literally the Hypnotoad. So if you haven't seen the, seen the card, it is 
Three generic mana, a black and a green, legendary creature, frog horror. It's a 6-6 with death touch for some reason. At the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice the Gitrog monster unless you sacrifice a land. However, you may play an additional land on each of your turns. Whenever one or more lands are put into the graveyard from anywhere, draw a card. So it's a kind of big for a uh, for five mana. It's a six six. It has death touch that probably won't matter a ton, but eh, it's good in general. So this is a very. I wouldn't say it advances the story a lot. Not like, at all. The main Innistrad story. I mean, it introduces the Getrog monster, which cool it gives you more world building but the story itself does not really do anything no which is why i think this is going to be a much faster story yeah the basic idea is you have a girl who is the daughter of a slayer i don't know why her father isn't here or why he left they never say that then you have the town who is now convinced that this gitrog is in their lake and it's a fishing town so they can't fish anymore because there's the gitrog there and this girl is convinced that, no, you're all dumb. No one can prove it's there. And then she starts losing sheep because she's a shepherd and she hasn't left to go join Slayers yet because she's not old enough or something to that effect. <clears throat> I think it's 15. She yeah. has to be 15. Yeah. And she just keeps fighting with this other kid about that until eventually she keeps losing more and more sheep. She gets her entire farm, her uh, the paddock, super reinforced by the carpenter and then one night just all of her sheep are gone there's just it's actually blood. the night of her 15th birthday which yeah. is hilarious there's just blood and gore everywhere and she follows these tracks that she's decided are the tracks of the gitrog monster <clears throat> and she realizes that oh the People of the town have been feeding my sheep to this stupid frog. It's just a giant frog that they've been feeding her sheep to. They probably, to be completely honest, could have killed the damn thing literally months ago. But nope, they have taken to worshipping it. And they have now decided that since it's not sated by the sheep, that they need to sacrifice her. And long and short of it is, it eats pretty much everyone in the village, except for her. Because she just sort of, like, accepts that apparently it's intelligent and that she'll work for it, I guess-ish. It's a little bit weird. She watches as it eats her, like, closest friend. Who, there's kind of like a will they or won't they there during the story. They're 15, it doesn't... Uh... I know, it's there. I mean, they're, they're 15 in pseudo-gothic England-ish, so, I mean, they could have, but, eh. Anyways. Yeah. So... All in all, not that important. No. Uh, Fun to read, but... Summarization is, it leaves her alive, and once the spring thaw comes and the male people come back through, she is implied to have been left alive so that she can get more people to be fed to the Gitrog. Yeah. She's gone nut bar, too. Quite possibly. It's a weird story. It's certainly interesting to read. I don't think it's all that necessary. Agreed. I think we sh- we're we going to try and run through this last one as quickly as possible, because we've been going on for a while now. 
Yeah, we're just at an hour. Though I have to say our, our intro was about eight minutes long with us like, oh, wait, no, and this thing. Yeah, but I think we can run through Mystery of Markov Manor pretty quickly. The basic idea is Jace went to the manor, and I feeling like this is either a combination of whatever Nahiri did or the fact that there's a whole bunch of only sort of dead vampires here that he's getting weird psychic like feedback all over and can't quite seem to figure out everything that's going on. Yeah, it's it's kind of like he is walking through the manor, the ruins of the manor, and he keeps getting these like flashbacks oh, that I sorry, I just thought of it. Um Jean Grey. It he's pulling the stupid Jean Grey thing where Yes when her powers aren't shut off or even uh Jean Jones in the Justice League cartoon. When his powers aren't like under control, he's getting the mental feedback from all the people around him or her. And in this case it's there's a whole bunch of vampires who, let's face it, being frozen in stone doesn't probably kill them all the way, just makes them suffer forever. They're probably yeah. still a little bit alive, and I think he's getting all of that, plus one rando human who's here. Yep. Oh, just a reminder, the reason all the vampires are in stone is because Nahiri is, is really angry because Soren did not come to help when Zendikar was falling to the Eldrazi. It's also sort um, of his fault that they're there. Pretty much. Yeah. So she was like, you know what? You didn't help save my plane. I'm going to come over and screw around on yours. Should also be said, she's pre-mending Planeswalker, which means she's probably completely nutbars as well. She's thousands of years old. And we don't actually know 100% why she's here. We just know she's really pissed at Soren. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we do get a really cool thing that has never been mentioned before here now. I'm still trying to figure out how this one rando human had Tamiyo's journal, which is strange. But we get to see a very good chance or not chance a very good idea of what might have brought vampirism to Innistrad this is not something I expected to see which was Edgar Markov uh Soren Markov's grandfather the first Markov grouping up 12 individuals sort of in that same way where you had the 12 elders from under a silver moon mm -hmm. to drink the blood of an angel I mean, think about it this way. 12 is an important number. You get 12, you tend to get like 12 full moons in a year. So and lunar cycle. I'd say given Innistrad's thing with the moon, that's probably exactly where it comes from. Yeah. Like in Judaism, there's either 12 or 13 months, depending on the full moon of that year. And 13 is just unlucky. So they try to avoid it. There was a lot of 13 in the original Innistrad. And I think they're trying to avoid that directly. Yes. But yeah, we have these 12 people implied to be the heads of the different vampiric families, getting together to kill and drink the blood of an angel. Yep. I don't know how you could do something worse than that, so... You know. I mean, in Harry Potter, kill, a kill and drink the blood of a unicorn. That's about it. It's a half-life, so yeah. I guess this a is... A tortured life. Apparently, if you want a full undeath life, uh, kill some angels. Yep. So... But yeah, that's really all we get is he picks up the book and starts following these clues that have been left by Tamiyo. Uh, they also, this is also where you find out that Soren Markov made Avicen. Oh, did like, he learn that here? I didn't yep. notice that. 
Yep, it's in the journal. Oh, yeah, right there. Soren Markov, literally the line is, <laughs> The angels have gone mad. My dry throat croaks in an echoing hall. Soren Markov made Avicen. Avicen rules the angels. The angels have turned on hum- the human populace. And someone tore Markov Manor to pieces. And then he's got... He keeps doing this stupid option one, option two. Option one, Soren has gone on a rampage, destroying his ancestral home and turning his angelic creation against an enthroned people. Option two, someone has challenged Soren, destroying his ancestral home and turning his angelic creation against an enthroned people. And that is also... fourth option thing he said today in this one article. The thing that makes me hate this article, the story is cool. The story is fantastic and wonderful. It keeps changing the tenses. It goes from you get like a third-person point of view where you see what's going on to first-person point of view. And it makes no sense why. You literally get second person in this. It makes no sense. There are literally things where the character is saying you sort of referring to himself. It is the only place I've ever seen someone use second person. It's, oh my god, it's like you need to calm down. It's like when he's basically, he's walking through the terrifying like remnants of Markov Manor and he's like seeing all these like stone vampires and it's freaking him out and he's telling himself to breathe. Yeah. It's like, stop it. Pick a tense and stick with it. It's not even the you need to breathe where it's Jace referring to himself. It's Jace through the mind of something else referring to himself. That's what makes it second person and weird and confusing. (laughs) Um, I can only think of that happening in maybe one other game, and I don't even remember the name of it. I just remember being, there was a a zero punctuation review where he was like, this is a horrible game, but it's possibly the only thing I've ever seen second person in, where there was a thing (laughs) where you could look through the eyes of enemies, but still control your own guy. That's creepy. Well, it was basically a, if you could see your own guy, you were probably doing something wrong, because I think it was a stealth game. This was many, many years ago, like probably five or more. Oh, I just noticed something that I want to point out. Um, So it mentions it's in the stupid option one, option two thing. Someone has challenged Soren, destroying his ancestral home and turning his angelic creation against Innistrad's people. That goes back to chapter three, where my thought is, uh, no, excuse me, episode two, a gaze blank and pitiless instead of episode three unwelcome um i think it is nahiri it's very much implied to be nahiri because they mention when avison goes nut bars she sees uh where is it like white monoliths inscribed with ruins i believe that's how they phrased it yes the one thing is i where that makes me not entirely sure about it is Later, at the very end of it, she starts referring to how the whispers she has determined are coming from the moon, which is a little strange. I think, I think here he certainly has something to do with it. I don't know what, though. Yeah, well, it's, it's here it is. A field of white flashed through her eyes, followed by an image of many floating stone obelisks with intricate runes carved into their sides, moving in concert with each other. That literally sounds like Nahiri the Harbinger. That, or it could also just be she's getting a look at Zendikar and the Hedron alignments, which either way implies a connection to Nahiri because she made them. Yeah, but it just, like, it makes sense here. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out if it it might be a connection to Nahiri or it might be a connection directly, more directly with the Eldrazi that the Hadrons were supposed to keep in check. So I just it could don't be know. a combo of both. We'll yeah. see as the story goes on. Oh, yeah. But that wraps up our, uh, basically, what's happening in 
that's it's basically what's happening in Innistrad. We're going to have another story by next week, which we'll try to run through quickly before we get on to whatever our main topic for next week is. But, I think a good, I think a good talk. I think it's what's happening in Innistrad should be a good would be a good title for this. So yeah, so now you have at least a rough idea. We really do suggest go out and read these. Mostly, they're very very good. There are certainly mm-hmm. some spots where we feel like they're a little bit too long, or there's extra information, or just mm-hmm. stupid extra things. But overall, there is still interesting to read. Definitely. I mean, yes, the Gitrog monster is fairly. You could skip over the entire thing, but it's a good, nice, quick horror thing. It's not terrifying in any way, but it's good to read. It's very uh, eldritch horror. Sort of, yeah, because you get this weird thing where basically everyone is worshipping this thing as a god, and then it seems to sort of adapt and take on the godhood. It's very strange. Yeah, and it has intelligence, too. Yeah, but it's a very so, bestial. Yeah, it's it's a good thing. You should probably check it yeah, out. Definitely. And we will include a link in the show notes that takes you to just a page that has all of these on it. So mm-hmm. just be ready to check that out. By the time you're seeing this, the sixth one should be out. It's always strange because they they release these at such bizarre hours. It used to be that you knew when everything came out because it was midnight. Oh, they didn't even say what time this was posted at, so I don't know. It'll probably come out uh, midday tomorrow, which is to say the... Th- 6th of april sounds good yeah anyway i think we can move on from there did you actually read machine of death for your thing yet uh no because i have been working on papers all weekend woohoo college student yeah it's so much fun yeah oh uh before i forget there's a wonderful thing on cardconfidants.com where they do a magic story review of all of the different uh, magic story. Why is my thing scrolling? Oh, that's why it's scrolling. And I would highly suggest going to check it out because it's really nice. It's from a mostly literary perspective, so not just the what happens, but also just is it written decently? It's really good. I would say check it out. Definitely. So, Stephen, are you reading, watching, listening to, eating, have made anything interesting in the last week or so since we last had our since our first episode? So I am producing a a ton of stuff on YouTube, mostly because I am a clearly mad person. So at this point, the rough schedule, if you want to check out any of the stuff that I do over on YouTube, is there is roughly one brawl video a day. It depends whether or not I can actually get to play the Overwatch brawl. So normally it's supposed to be a weekly brawl, but they're trying to test all of them in beta, so they have a new one playing every day. So if I can get in a game or two, I'll put them up live with no commentary. Then I have at least one lore video a week. Right now we've got, because they keep putting out Overwatch shorts, I keep having to do those. So we've got the Overwatch Alive short and the Overwatch Recall short sort of recaps and analysis up. I am now also putting out, first of all, this is going up on our YouTube channel. One day it will actually have video in it, not just the background image of our logo. (laughs) Eventually. One day. day. Eventually is a big word. Yeah. So this is going up on YouTube as well as our website and everything and trying to figure out why on earth it's not cross-posting to iTunes and other podcasting things right now. The MTG cast one is working fine, so don't worry about that. I'm trying to figure out why it's not posting from our site, so I'll see if I can fix that. I... 
Also, I'm posting Let's Play videos of right now Witcher 2 and Fallout 3. They go up on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. If you are a Patreon subscriber and are paying for the early updates, you'll get them then on Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Yes, I can do days. I totally can. <laughs> Uh, unless I post them a little bit earlier, sometimes I do. You will all so now get access to a thing that we need to name the segment, where which is basically our pre and post show jabberings, mostly just There's silly, a lot of yeah, mostly silly stories and us being allowed to curse. I do a lot of that. <laughs> Me too. We're both cooks, so it happens a lot. Definitely. Oh yes, and of course. So this has not gone live yet, mostly because there's no one at this level yet but if you donate a dollar to our patreon once a month you get access to the derpy puppy feed as soon as the first donation for that goes out we will go uh, we will put that live it's basically just anytime you want to watch either of my dogs being complete complete doofuses if you're watching this on YouTube, you can actually see a video up in the right-hand corner of that, which is one of them's first interactions with peanut butter. It oh went God. about as well as you can expect. <laughs> you tried to eat the spoon. But yes, that is just an extra giveaway if, for any reason, you want to donate any money to the Patreon and help just pay for the website or any of the other things we do. Uh, you can also find us on our Facebook, my Twitter... And our website, so all of those are, so there's Lair of Lore on Facebook, Cap America on Twitter. The website is neon.net. And, oh, right, you can also email us at info at neon.net. By the way, literally all of this is in the show notes. You should check it out. What about you? Um, I have actually finally started my denim whale. I have all of the pieces cut out. Uh, since I also run a crafting blog on Tumblr, Princess Procrastinator, at... Uh, tumblr.com nothing too interesting but i've got a few projects and since i will be on a plane this weekend flying to go to pennsylvania um i will be starting my uh sci-fi movie reviews um so dun -dun -dun -dun, i have 50 movies on my list uh i pulled it from the io9 uh 50 brilliant sci-fi fiction movies that everyone should see at least once and the magical number generator from 1 to 50 says Five. So number five on that list is. I feel like I read this one. But I just don't remember what it was. I feel Godzilla. <laughs> oh, Nineteen fifty-four right. director Ishiro Honda. Be ready for subtitles. I do not mind a good subtitle. So it is not well dubbed. <laughs> so I will be uh, watching this this weekend while I am flying to Pennsylvania. A nice three-hour flight, and making a nice little blog blog post about my thoughts on it sorry so, I, I just thought of one thing that i have actually been listening to and i had this thought when we were talking about jace like an hour ago so i just wanted to throw this in before <laughs> i forget so i do not in any way watch wrestling however one of my favorite podcasts is loading ready runs sidewalk slam which is two people basically talking about the current running story of wrestling and oh my goodness it's silly they basically are trying to look for all of the positive things about it and because it's now been going on for like two months i have learned more than i ever thought i would care to know about wrestling 
And if anyone knows anything about the current WWE, Jace's are Roman Reigns. Because they just keep shoving him into stories. He has no human characteristics <laughs> and no one likes him. Literally, like, apparently the story of wrestling for the past two years has been focused on this guy, Roman Reigns, that no one really cares about fighting the authority, which is the people who run the company that does wrestling, basically. And just no one cares because he's not interesting. Mm -hmm. And apparently even out of character, he's just not a nice person. Apparently he's been very bad on a couple of interviews where he's just like, oh, it's just a kid show. I don't care. I mean, for me, I don't watch wrestling either. Um, I'm quite excited that I can actually, I know what some sports teams are. That's about it. I am not a sports person. I mean, that does remind me that, oh my goodness, Heroes of the Dorm is about to complete. However, my entire bracket is screwed up because certain teams that I was relying on did not do well, but whatever. Like, I'm pretty sure my top four for the Heroes of the Dorm, which if you're not aware, is a collegiate... It's basically esports for the... Yeah, damn it. Even my top two is screwed up because of my top four teams, only one of them made it. But it's it's basically the collegiate esports version of March Madness, and then they hiccuped and died. <laughs> All right. Anything else we can think of before we finish up the episode? Nope. I think that's about it. Uh, comment with show ideas, questions. Uh, send them to info at neon at what is it? Net. Neon.net. Thank you yeah. very much. Yep. Um, comment on MTG, subscribe, and uh, donate to our Patreon. That would yeah. be lovely. And um, if you don't want to support us, please remember to just support MTG Cast. It is, this is a lot of hosting and a lot of uh, sending stuff out to you all that is free for us and free for you. It is not free for the people running the service. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. And I guess we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.